Welcome back to the Pedestrian Podcast, episode 202, a week away from the NFL draft. Myself, Stuart Court, is as ever joined by Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I am doing so well, looking forward to talking about the only sports <laughs> that I like anymore. Uh, my, We don't even talk about other sports, Stu. They don't exist. Only one sport exists, and it's the NFL. And I can see my wife giving me the side eye of all side eyes in the other room uh, as I've, yeah. She doesn't doesn't believe me, Malik, but it's a long story. It's a long story. I'm not going to get into it now. We've got too much to talk about, so we'll leave that to you. Outside the next 45, 50 minutes to an hour, there's only one sport I'm thinking about for the next 24 (laughs) hours. To be fair, it's the same one you're not. Uh, Joining us this week, uh, right... uh, our first, another first time guest. We're cranking on. We're inviting new, new faces, new voices onto our pod. Uh, this side of two hundred, uh, he covers just some unbelievable stuff over the last couple of weeks. Uh, covering the draft and HBCUs, around a tour. We're getting to all that. He also writes for the Seahawks as well. Welcome to the Ped Pod, Malik Ob. Thank you, thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm really excited to be on and just to talk about. You know, Seahawks and getting ready for the draft. The only sport that matters, as you said. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just happy that after 200 episodes, finally someone's excited to join us. That's that's a, that's a first. So that's great news. That's great news. So how's your uh, your off season been so far? Because you joined up with the team fairly recently, if I'm not mistaken, or have been writing for the team for not quite as long as maybe some of the other guys on the beat. So how's it all been for you the last you know, three or four crazy months? Oh wow! So this off season is 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 been pretty busy. Um, so I'm approaching a year now. I came in at the tail end, kind of of uh, right after last year's draft, and just went in a full swing from there. So this is really my first off season with the team, really from the beginning of free agency and going through the entire summer, really, and getting ready. You know, going for, going to the draft now. So this is going to be a different feeling and different type of work. <laughs> And if I'm not mistaken, you're like a remote reporter for the team, right? So if you're based in Washington, D.C., I think. Yes. So yeah. h- how does that sort of change the perspective of, of what you do and what your job remit is, as opposed to a guy like John Boyle, who's, you know, joined us before on the show a couple of times. And, you know, we know he's into the day to day and the nitty gritty of like the everyday lifestyle of the team. How does that work reporting on it from kind of half the distance away that we are from, from Seattle? Oh, <laughs> it's really funny because... Uh, shout out to my guy, John. Uh, we talk <laughs> literally all day, every day. So I still kind of have that pull and, you know, inside information kind of, but, um, I'm, I'm kind of remote hybrid. So at the start of the last season, well, before last season, I started in camp really. And then I started on the road in preseason. So, uh, it's more so, um, road games, uh, a lot of road opportunities I do, uh, but day to day, I'm pretty much writing about the team pretty much day to day, keeping up with press conferences, meetings, doing private conversations, things of that nature. And then, of course, just having to be uh, abreast of everything that's going on stat wise, game to game, you know, just being prepared and then writing game day or leading up the game day pieces. Uh, so this year, I'm thinking we'll be a little bit more you'll see me a little bit more in the west <laughs> so <laughs> i'm just uh i'm excited about it um 
just really just taking it a day at a time, honestly. But the opportunities that you talk about, John, John is he loves surprises, man. He loves surprising me out of nowhere. Like, hey, do you want to do this? You want to do that? You know, the Seahawks, it's not just a football thing. So uh, it's always some extracurricular activity for fans or for a purpose uh, that I'm getting the opportunity to cover or to discuss in some in some way, shape or form. That, that's, that was quite a quite off season to start your job out with. I mean, I mean, not a lot happened last year, just the quarterback <laughs> and the, the the linchpin of the defence left. I mean, that's, that's quite a welcome to Seattle moment, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so how was, we asked Brady last time, he's covered the team for several years. How was covering the team and getting to write about last season, which like, from our point of view, as we said numerous times, was better than we expected, even if it was disappointing all the same at the end. What, how, how was it like from your point of view in your first year? So it was really interesting. I think, just, of course, um, coming in after uh, the rush trade and, and looking at the, the draft picks and just kind of looking at the roster on paper, I was really interested to get to camp and, and see, you know, who I thought would stand out, obviously a quarterback and just, you know, what what the team would look like. And I'm not going to say anything crazy like I predicted them to go to the playoffs or anything <laughs> like that. I'm just saying I, I, I thought that after I, the initial, you know, excitement of being there wore off and it was time to do my job. I, I really thought that it was it, it, it's just a testament to who Pete Carroll is. And it was amazing to see him up close and personal work and, and how the staff worked and everything. And if, if nothing else, I thought that the team was a well-oiled machine in terms of uh, preparation and in terms of the the things that uh, Pete Carroll was doing to uh, instill confidence in everyone. So, I mean, of course, we saw how that played out for a lot of the players, but um, it was it was pretty amazing to see. But after the first few weeks, honestly, it was like, wow, this team is a lot better than people think. To be honest, <laughs> you know? so, uh, I, I think that was that was the sentiment. But in the building, to be honest with you. Um, Mario Bailey has a tweet that I saw he put out last July. It's like, I don't care what anybody says, see, I was going to the playoffs. And it was, and just from my time in the building and just being around everyone, there was never a doubt that any from anyone that I talked to that the Seahawks were going to have a bad year. And I'm not saying that in terms of being biased or anything like that. I'm talking, you know, all, you know, off the record conversations, everything. It's like, yeah, you you guys want to see, you know. So <laughs> it's been a it's been a pretty amazing year. Now I'm looking at it. I'm in this position, and I'm looking at where the team is now. And of course, they're looking to continue to build through the draft and maybe make some other moves. But you know, it's 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 interesting to be in a position when you're covering a team that's good and can possibly and most likely will get better. You know, so it's it's really interesting the position to be in. And I think to just give some perspective, before I was with the Seahawks, my uh, at the time, I was really chasing being a, a beat writer for the Raiders. And as you know, the Raiders aren't really good, you know, so <laughs> to, you know, write about a team and, and not make fluff pieces and things of that nature. And you legitimately have talent. You le- legitimately have uh, things weekly to look forward to, such as Kenneth Walker approaching records and things of that nature. It, it's a good feeling, uh, you know, just taking aside, you know, any bias or how you care about the team but just doing your job it's a great feeling to come and say hey this is a good team and I'm going to have some more work you know they're going to go to playoffs and things of that nature so it's a great feeling and also as a team with a few people a few 
with without the quarterback and the linebacker who, who were finding their voices last year as well, wasn't it? So you got more quotes than maybe the p- person in your position the year before would have got from yes. the same person as well. Yes, yes. So, uh, and and then the thing about that is when I came out, so John, when I came out for camp, John really emphasized making sure that the team top to bottom knew who I was. So any, in, in, in case of any situation, I'm, I'm at a game or any, anywhere they know who I am. So, uh, I was in the I was in the VMAC maybe ten minutes and I met Pete Carroll running the, the steps so it was kind of amazing and then I went upstairs to the cafeteria and Jamal Adams is singing and all this stuff so you know and, and just getting comfortable in the locker room and meeting players um, it was really interesting but like you said just just being able to relate to players and then once the winning started like you said all the coaches came out and. Uh, they wrote me off. I still ain't wrote back. That, that set the tone for the year, really. Yeah, you know, yeah. so that, that set the tone. Yeah, Adam, you uh, sorry. You, you mentioned about you know straight away. One of the first things you said was about you know you know how you know what Pete's like or Pete. You know the way he has them has them going. And we hear that from a lot of people. We've heard that from players. We've heard that from guys on the beat. We've heard that from. Uh, you know, reporters that don't even work necessarily for the team as closely as you do. But I'm not going to let you off so easily. Like we're, we're a stories podcast. So if you're going to throw out something like that, I'm going to need some kind of, you know, f- for, for the great unwashed like us, you know, w- w- what's an example of kind of the way in which Pete can, uh, you know, just envelop a team in, in the way in, in the way in which he goes about his business? Because people talk about it all the time his attitude his spirit the way in which he gets everyone going he's you know guy's 71 years of age it's incredible but i need a story i, I want to hear okay, how got, he's done it i got one and i'm going to go right back to camp last year if you remember pete got covid um he got covid so when i when i came out i wasn't sure i was going to see him at first um and then all of that came about and he, you know, just kind of popped out on the practice field. Once he was cleared, he, he kind of popped out on the practice field out of nowhere. But, you know, it's, his, his routine is to, to, to run the length of the field. So it was, it was a, I don't remember if it was a fan day. I think it was, yeah, it was fan day. So it was fans all over, you know, all over the practice facility. And um, it, the DJ was, you know, just getting ready and everything. And I think I was talking to... Hmm. I think I was talking to Bob Condotta on the sideline and he's like, there's Pete, he's, he's, he's running. And then as soon the next thing, you know, you see this bright green highlighter jacket, this old guy. He's, <laughs> and that's the thing that's so amazing. It's not like he's just, you know, he's just dogging it. He's really out there running. He's giving his all. He's in great shape. He's in great shape. And it's crazy to see in person, but he's running the field. He gets back, you know, the crowd's cheering a little bit, but, everybody's doing their thing. They're starting to break up in positions and everything. And it just seemed like from that moment, the intensity just turned up, you know, it, it just turned up at that practice from that moment. It was a hot day, you know, and, and it was unusually hot out there. You know, that's pretty normal to me here, but it's unusually hot out there by sweating and stuff. And, you know, usually those days it can be on or off. I just feel like in any football situation, guys are going to dog it or they're just going to go. And it, it wasn't him uh, cursing or doing anything uh, out of character to rile him up. It was just a, I'm going to show you, you know, and he did it. You know, it was, he's, he was just sick. 
He's 71 years old. <laughs> it's hot. And he's out here running regardless of the circumstances. And and I say that to say the days before he did it and the days after he did it. But that first day when he came back from being sick, that kind of set the tone for practice, I felt. You know, we we had some really good plays, uh, you know, with some good one-on-ones and everything. And, and guys were going at it after that moment. It was it was it was that was that's probably it. that was a really good example. I think I don't know. I just think seeing a 71 year old guy and you got you got stars walking around, you know, and and this guy is going all at it. And this is a big building. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's doing all of the stuff. I just think stuff like that just 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 speaks to me. You know what I'm saying? It's just like if I can do it, so can you, you know, mm-hmm. so. I'll think of another story, but (laughs) it's interesting though because it's affected is the wrong word, but it's had an impact on the way you look at him as well. And, you know, we're 5,000 miles away. We can be, and you know, I'll I'll be honest, I'm fairly down on Pete Carroll as as a coach at times, but I think that's because all I get is 5,000 miles away. I get the games and it's wins and losses. So we don't get those sort of experiences that can revitalize you. So it's fascinating that you can just sort of see a guy for the first time and just be just clicked right in. And that's the kind of stuff when we hear on podcasts and on the radio in Seattle, how it almost supersedes the fact that if they're not winning, oh my God, what an amazing coach he is. So I I find that stuff absolutely fascinating. I'll take it a bit further. So with with you saying that, um, you know, when when you come on and join a team, your priority is making sure you don't make yourself look like a fool. So, you know, you're studying the roster and you're studying the history of the team. You know, I, I knew a lot about the Seahawks, but I, I didn't know as clearly as much as I thought. And um, by the time I got to camp, it, it was my priority. I was like, I'm going to know every face to a name of this roster. I mean, I, I tried my best. But that time that I was out there at camp, I, I noticed something. I've been in, I've been in a, a lot of football practices and I think the attention and detail for Pete and remembering the things that I saw that he wanted players to improve on over the time that I was there was something else that I noticed. So, so for instance, uh, Derek Young, uh, I got to watch him a lot in college. He played D2 at Lenore Ryan. They played Bowie State, which is an HBCU uh, in the playoffs and everything. And I'm pretty high on him. And I, and I thought that you know, just through the week, I watched how Pete would interact with him. And it was, you know, it was just things in terms of like his route running or his releases. And then he'll go and work with the old line. You know, he might say something to Gabe Jackson and then he might, you know, say something to uh, Kobe Parkinson. And, and, and it'll be it won't just be, hey, you know, stop dogging it or whatever. It'll be something specific to what that group is doing in that particular time. And then the next day. He'll come back and watch. You know, it's his attention to detail. And it, and it just, more importantly, I say that to say most of the guys I mentioned are not stars. Uh, and I think that what we look at with um, the roster and the draft and, and the development with the Seahawks is the confidence uh, that Pete has and the staff has and players that sometimes people don't see until it works out. Uh, even Ryan Neal, who I thought had a phenomenal year, I mean, I just I just see that he gives the same attention and focus and uh, the show of effort in every single player, it seems, you know. So, I mean, it's easy to 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 focus on DK Metcalf or or or, or some of the top guys. But I just, you know, the guys at the bottom of the roster and, and it seems to give that attention to those guys and 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 
show the effort and saying, I want you to improve. I, I think that was a pretty big deal that I noticed. And it, it does translate. To yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of why people, things like Tariq Woolen happen, isn't it? Because there's someone who's a fit, and like, even to a lesser extent, Michael Jackson mm-hmm. on the other side, who'd like played around the league pretty quickly. He's only been in the league two or three years, but he'd been to numerous stops and then. He's like a oh yeah he's a he's he's a starting cornerback kind of thing like that's kind of what attests to that ability to improve one on one and like because at seventy one as we keep going back to he could easily delegate to the seven seventy staff members he has he could delegate to Tater or his son or whoever else but he he, he goes in he, he gets he sounds like he gets deep involved and we see things like Tariq and Michael Jackson emerge from it don't we. Yeah. And I think it starts at the top. I mean, uh, everybody brings it up. It might sound cliche, but I think it's a big deal for players that want to come back. And it, it starts with the coach. You know, I mean, money is, a, is, a, is, is, an, is, is of course, important, um, but it, it starts for who you play for. You know, and this is a person that you have to deal with who calls the shots pretty much and, and dictates your future in a sense. And, you know, players that want to come back and they want to play for Pete, you know, so it says a lot. Uh, is there stuff that you saw this year you know any particular uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm not sure how many games you may have attended or may not have attended in, in locker rooms but were there any particular moments that stuck with you this year that made you think you know there, there is something growing in this locker room and you know they've, they've regenerated so much since the, the great team of a decade or so ago and you know transitioning from the older to the newer and the younger and you know drafting you know, a great draft class last year were there certain things that you can remember that stuck out to you and thought, you know what, this this is when you realize that you're with a proper team now? Well, um, I might have a smaller sample size and some I might not. But I think that a couple of things that I saw that I noticed were in terms of just in the VMAC and just because it's it's it's, it's very player friendly and, and everybody is it's like a family environment. And I I, I did notice that it seemed that not just the veterans, but overall, it, it seemed that the staff and everyone ushered in the new players uh, and brought them in as if they, you know, it became a, a I'm trying to say it, not routine, but it, it seemed as if they, they brought them into the fold fairly quickly. So, for instance, at the time last year, Tariq Woolen was a fairly unknown rookie, you know, so... Um, just looking at it like that, I mean, he, he's, you know, he's a humble guy and, you know, it just seemed that being there, the veterans, just everybody took those players in. And when you, when I went into the locker room, it wasn't really too much division in terms of, uh, you know, superstars or this position or that position. It was, guys pretty much mingling whatever like so i was in there and quentin jefferson is like handing out cookies you know like to everybody <laughs> something something small like that you know mm-hmm. like you you know when everybody's coming in from practice you know from practice to the locker room and you know i'm in there interviewing somebody and this i'm just getting in there and you might have uh you know quandre Diggs or somebody else say hey let's help this guy let's help this player or interview, you know, or help this guy interview. And I just thought that that was really interesting in terms of the camaraderie between players, especially in terms of dealing with the media, me or others, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I think that it speaks to the relationship 
between the players and with the front office. I don't know. It's just to me, it just it, it seemed a little too good to be true. Just overall, <laughs> so, you know, when you go in a building, it's just like everybody's just so happy, go lucky, it feels good, and so that's the feeling that you get in there. Mind you, just from my perspective, you know, everybody says it's it's it's, it's the place to be. The players love it. I go in there, I have no idea what to expect, you know? So, of course, first things first, it's like you got, I'm going to get a smoothie and Quandre, I mean, sorry, Tyler Lockett, he's like walking around in his socks and <laughs> and then he's going to sit and have a drink or, or a meal or a snack or whatever with, you know, the chefs or the you know custodial workers everybody's just together there you know you can make a joke about who dropped the pass or something like that whatever it is it's just it's kind of like you know so it's 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 different it's a lot different than what i expected you know yeah. but <laughs> but i want to say this though i want to i want to say this and and this is something that i talked to i had a chance to talk to cliff averill about um when we did uh the seahawks pilgrimage through the south and he said that there is a sense of, of of players having to learn quickly that um, that don't that to not let the environment fool them because it is it is a work it is work you know and you know you have the the you're overlooking the water at lunch and you have all of these extra amenities and all of this fun but it you have to make this roster you know and you have to make significant strides and there is times and there was times that I seen where it was like okay you know, it's a little bit lax. Let's turn it up. Let's straighten up people, you know, and I, and that that's probably every team, but it's a healthy balance. And I think that they, they, they do a good job of finding a balance of making it a fun environment, but we're here to do business and, you know, we're bringing you in and we really believe in you guys. So it's time to show and prove. Yeah. So I, I don't think that's always an easy thing to do. Yeah. And that, that comes back to, why a 71-year-old runs sprints 20 minutes after a negative COVID test, isn't it, I guess? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but equally, I suppose, <laughs> Pete will have your back until he doesn't. And yeah. I, I presume that's sort of how that work environment sort of manifests itself because, yeah, he can be quite cutthroat and ruthless with the guys once, you know, they're, they're, they're on the way out or, you know, once, once he has no need to protect them anymore, you know, they're not mollycoddled anymore, really. You know, they, they they try to deal with things in the right way to be in a position to bring free agents back, as they have done a couple of times this this offseason. But you're Pete's guy until you're not, is what is the impression I get. Yeah, I mean, but I, I do, and that's the thing, is that being someone that people like and someone that someone people respect is two different things. And I think that he does a good job of, establishing that balance, you know, just because I smile doesn't mean that I'm a pushover, you know? So, um, and that's, and that's the balance that I, I, I found. And that's the reason why I did respect it because like I said, it, it, it's so much fun things to do, <laughs> but I, I have a job to do. Everyone has a job to do at the end of the day. And, and there are expectations and you do have to know that the, you can be replaced. And as you do see, with this year, like you said, this year was a testament that we can find other people to believe in, you know? So, you know, the roster pretty much got overhauled and the success still came. So, you know, I think that 
it's 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 a toss up, and I think that every team deals with it. And you and you spoke to being cutthroat. I think that every team deals with being cutthroat. I just think it's how they go about dealing with it on a face to face basis with the player or face to with the agent or whatever. And and that's the difference. Um, a lot of teams go about things in a roundabout way. I think that the Seahawks have had some very tough discussions to make this year that I think that a lot of other teams might not have handled as well. Uh, so, for instance, just looking at the quarterback position and Pete and well, John talked about this on on um, on a John Snyder show. He talked about being up front with Gino and Drew and saying, hey, um, we we're looking at quarterbacks. We want to bring you both back. Da, 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 da. This is the situation. Uh, I think it could have been a lot messier situation. And, uh, you know, um, and there's other situations that you can look at that didn't go as well. But I, like I said, I think it's just about trying to find that balance. And I think that that's something that Seattle's known for in terms of player relationships. Sometimes it goes sour, but for the most part, you know, the door does seem to be open for most guys, you know? Yeah, definitely. This, yeah, that's like, this is going to, I think it's going to drum up the, get the, wheel, the wheels on the bandwagon of the 2023 rolling if this carries on. Um, one of the feathers to your bow is draft HBCU. Uh, we'll get into what, how you spent your week last week, but uh, in, in over over this side and over this side of the Atlantic, HBCU is probably not as well known as it is in America. Can you just briefly explain what a HBCU is and why the work you do with covering these prospects who are hopefully hoping to get the NFL call next week from HBCUs is so important and so like yeah, of it's course, just, it's very cool. Of course, so um uh. The term HBCU stands for Historically Black College and University. Uh, so in America, um, before integration, of course, there was these there were these colleges created as educational institutions for African-Americans before they were allowed to go to schools before integration. And from these schools came our 35 plus Hall of Famers. Um, and it, uh, to name some of the Seahawks legends or some of the guys that came through Seattle that went to black colleges, of course, at the top is Jerry Rice. Um, but one person that stands out is the last black college quarterback to be drafted, Tavares Jackson, the late Tavares Jackson. Um, so Walter Payton, Michael Strahan, it, it's so many black college players that you can name. Um, and as, as you all across the, the pond know, uh, many of the biggest teams that make it across seas that are known are FBS teams. Um, but some of the biggest black colleges that you may have heard of are probably Howard University and Hampton University. My school is Morgan State University. Um, but these schools are not only overlooked because they're black colleges, but they're FCS schools and they're really underfunded in the grand spectrum. So uh, my job, personal, uh, something I personally took on was to make sure that we can keep the pipeline of NFL players like Shaq Leonard on the Colts, um, like these guys, uh, Tariq Cohen, uh, so many of these guys across the league to keep that pipeline going. Um, and my job and my idea was instead of just being a news platform, I wanted to do some evaluation and scouting and introducing further people to HBCUs and black colleges and showing the world why these players 
uh, matter and why they hold the candle or they measure up to the Tank Dells or anyone else in this class or in classes of the future or overall why they deserve a chance in the league. And now we have multiple leagues here with the USFL, the XFL, CFL in Canada, um, and just trying to get these guys more opportunities and also motivate them to do better and understand how great they actually have to be to play in the NFL. So that's our whole thing. And um, we, it started with football and just trying to do as much as we can in every sport. But my main focus is always football. Football is my favorite sport. So. <laughs> That's, that's that's my whole thing. And just like I said, for the Seahawks of so last year, Daryl Johnson, he went to North Carolina A&T. Uh, Seahawks picked him up last year and uh, he got hurt. Um, but before him, there's there's been so many guys. I mean, since the 80s, I mean, it, it, it's so many. You know, what, the first was, ever. Was Steve, Steve McNabb was HBC, yeah, Steve wasn't McNair, he? Yeah. All, Alcorn State, yes. Yeah. He's the last ever HBCU uh, player to finish in the top five in Heisman voting. Um, yeah, so Steve McNess, I mean, like I said, 35 plus Hall of Famers. Right now, we had two Pro Bowlers, Teron Armstead, Shaq Leonard. I mean, so it's just introducing these schools to people and understanding uh, what these schools mean to us and, and why some of the guys at these schools deserve more opportunities. Like I said, I mean, there's there's guys at that level that are getting more shots, but and 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 I think there are a few guys in this draft that might get their names called. I'm thinking about five or six, um, but yeah, it's it's going to be another good year. Hopefully, you get another one in Seattle. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. That's good. Without asking a question that uh, I don't want it to come across as like an ignorant statement, but um, what what tends to lead kids to 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 these colleges because we you know with last chance you on netflix we were exposed to the whole life of like a juco but mm-hmm. is is that the sort of level is that kind of how the the hierarchy of colleges goes that it's sort of you know colleges that we're aware of and hbcus and, and then juco or how does it work is it will you go to an hbcu because of a funding issue that you may have at home or what what, what <coughs> tends to to be the reason people go there. Not that there are any worse colleges, obviously, but oh, yeah. how, how does it sort of manifest itself? Okay, so no no offense taken. So this is how it goes. After high school, um, the and this is just the truth, the majority of these guys at the high school level, especially if they're in a city area in America, they all play together. So mm-hmm. it's just a matter of who's good enough or who doesn't have the grades. Uh, that separates, in my opinion, FBS, which is everyone you could think of from Alabama to Arkansas to Clemson to Syracuse to FCS, which is, uh, like I said, uh, Jackson State with Coach Deion Sanders, Coach Howard, Morgan, Alabama State, Hampton, these schools. So they're, so these HBCUs are split. So you have D1 FCS HBCUs who play these schools. In some cases. So the defending black college champion, North Carolina Central, they're at a D1 program. They start their season in September against UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, so these, so the, you have uh, Division I FBS, FCS. You have about 60% of black colleges are FCS and about 40% are Division II. So it just comes down to – it comes down to grades. It comes down to exposure. 
Exposure is a big deal. And it, it depends on where you are. Now, it's not always a bad thing. And sometimes it depends on separating yourself. So like I said, a lot of these guys play with each other. So there's there's guys that have played with Amari Cooper in Miami. There's guys that play with all of those guys. But the difference in the recruiting is you did enough sometimes to go to Miami and you did enough sometimes to go to Bethune-Cookman, you know. Uh, but then, you know, the HBCU difference in terms of getting to the NFL and the issue that we have and which is getting better has been – exposure in terms of tv exposure uh and this is over the last 20 to 25 years because in the 90s the 80s 70s and going back there was a lot more scouting and exposure to those guys but it's been tailed off and now we're trying to get those numbers back up um so in the last two years since coach prime has come to jackson state and left uh and some other things have transpired you've have had an addition of 100 plus Black College Games on ESPN now. And, you know, the HBCU Legacy Bowl is in partnership with the NFL and the Black College Hall of Fame. And then you got the Black College Hall of Fame game, which is going to always be run on NFL Network. But there's so many more effort, so much more effort being made to make the game visible. Um, so uh, just to give you an example, I think even over there, you guys have heard of North Dakota State. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in the grand scheme, North Dakota State is in the middle of nowhere. But we hear about it because their football program is good and they have the exposure. And, and as you can see, they're just they're rolling, you know. Um, but the problem is a, a lot of times is with black colleges is we've had and this is the NFL's issue and it's a school issue. Uh, a lot of schools, and that's my thing is with draft HBCU is we're, we're calling out both ends and we're just trying to. Uh, develop a conversation and change something. So we've had to call some schools out about little things like um, not having accurate rosters on the website, but then we have to call out the NFL in a sense and say, okay, well, you're doing all of these things, uh, these events and everything, but then I go to my school who has a couple, four Hall of Famers, and we don't even have a pro day this year, you know? So there's, there's a lot of, you know, issues to work out on both sides, but it, it's definitely getting better. Um, this year, like I said, I, I think we'll have a, a good handful of drafted players and then maybe another dozen undrafted free agents that can come in and make an impact. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, it's not a one-year thing. This is, this is something I want to do the rest of my life. And it's, it's going pretty good so far, but I, I just think we got to continue to increase visibility and exposure and, informing people of these schools and increasing enrollment. So I know we're going to talk about the tour. That's something I'm really happy about because Seattle is at the northwesternest point in the country. <laughs> and I'm all the way over here in the nation. <laughs> and there's no black colleges over there. So being able to give that exposure to those kids who might have heard of a Howard or something like that on a movie or watch Drumline or saw all American on, on the CW network and said, this is interesting, but I'm thousands of miles away. It was great. It was a great opportunity, but we're going to get into that. Yeah. But look, 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 those schools, like the, the, the jumper you're wearing, Morgan State, I've heard of that school. I've heard of Bethany Cookman. I've heard of these places, but mm-hmm. like I said, but us over here, we, they're just universities, the schools we don't get, but the standing they have or maybe deserve more of, Mm-hmm. like the HBCU like umbrella I guess kind of thing that's what I find so interesting about 
all the stuff you did last week, all the, all the stuff on Draft HBCU, um, as 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 well, Adam. Yeah, you mentioned Dion Sanders, who was the coach at Jackson State, and. Um, moved to Colorado, who were not great at all, but in maybe a division <laughs> higher in the general scheme of things. I guess that the reductive view, and you know, when you listen to the Talking Head shows, was well, he used Jackson State as a stepping stone. It was something that I heard quite a lot of. As someone that's actually entrenched in the situation, was that seen as as the case? And, and if it was. To what point on the sliding scale is kind of raising the profile worth it to being used as a stepping stone in order to, you know, everyone knows who Jackson State are. If you follow any American sport, you know who Jackson State are. By proxy, you know they're an HBCU. By proxy, you're more interested. So is there a point that some people, if it is a stepping stone, which you'll tell tell us if it is or isn't, can almost benefit the overall situation for, for a small period of time? I'm gonna be. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be completely honest with you. And anybody you know that that knows me has had this conversation with me before. Both sides benefited from it. The only issue that I had with the entire situation is that I personally wish that Dion one would have stayed until Shador Sanders got the opportunity to be drafted from Jackson State, which would have made this whole thing all the way worth it. And two, he wouldn't have went back on his word in terms of why he left. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my issue with that is, and I'm not here to have a, a religious battle with anyone, but I do believe in God. And I know that the very first thing that Deion Sanders said when he came to Jackson State was that God told him that this was the place for him to be. And at some point between losing a championship and 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 flipping a school from Under Armour, I mean from Nike to Under Armour and all this nonsense and going against all his codes, God told him to go to Colorado. And he left a lot of people behind, a lot of empty promises. But I'll tell you this. Dion sparked something, helped spark something to revitalize HBCUs in the eye of the national or worldwide public, I'll say it like that. People get mad over the particulars and that's what it is, another reason. So I I think that you get, and, and, and this is all due respect to every other coach in black college football, because we have so many former NFL players and, and legends coaching, but there is only one prime time. And I think that the issue that I had with Deion Sanders coming to black colleges too, is that everybody for the most part was saying, what about me instead of how can I capitalize on the moment? And what I mean by that is, like you said, you're all the way over there and you knew what Jackson State is. You know that now you're never going to forget it. It's every black college uh, program's job, especially with a football or any athletic program, to use the, that moment, which was a couple of years, to say, we're going to increase the vi- visibility of our schools, whether we got to use Deion Sanders, whether we got to use the hashtag HBC, whatever it may be. This is a chance for the world to know more about us. And that's why I said schools like North Dakota State, James Madison went from FCS to FBS. I mean, there's so many schools that have increased their visibility and popularity. And there were a lot of schools that have done that. FAMU, I mean, they they used it to full advantage. You know, I think they, they're like the top five teams in the country in terms of social media presence and engagement. 
And this is a this is a FCS school in Tallahassee, and they got Florida State down the street. You know, um, Dion definitely used HBCUs to his advantage because um, I don't think anybody that paid attention to Dion would doubt that one day he'll become Florida State or maybe something bigger coach. But he had to do some things to get there. You know, the, his high school situation was a flop. And um, Jackson State and another HBCU allowed him to get the proper documentation to become the coach and then to do what he did. And he brought a lot to Jackson State. He brought a whole lot to Jackson State. He brought a lot of money to Jackson State, a lot to the SWAT. Uh, and like you said, visibility that in some cases we might not get back with him gone. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that a lot of schools learned a lot from Dion, whether they wanted to or not, or whether they want to acknowledge it or not, about how to increase their visibility and 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 what to do. And then the one thing that they that one thing that I thought that teams did well that one, which was South Carolina State and, and, and North Carolina Central, the only two teams that beat them uh, in HBCU football, they realized that all the attention is on them. All we got to do is play football. And that has resulted in Davius Richard, who is North Carolina Central's quarterback, getting the hype that he's getting going into next, this, this next season, starting off the season against UCLA. He'll get a lot more attention. I mean, everybody that played on Jackson State's schedule, they 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 benefited from it on tape. They benefited from it in the ticket box, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that Jackson State will be okay, and and I think that they, in terms of the school, this is a school in one of the poorest cities in America, and out of nowhere. One of the greatest football players of all time chose the coach at this school and instantly, instantly revitalized in, in several ways their economy <laughs> and in, in, in so many ways, black college football as a whole. And that's this is from a Morgan grad. And, and I look at the bigger picture. Like I said, I just want exposure and I want to continue to bridge that gap for football fans, period, to understand our value and and to do that, you got to look at somebody that was a major catalyst and Deion Sanders was. Whatever he does going forward, he does. But he's 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 still going to, in a sense, uh, promote the guys like uh, Aubrey Miller and all those guys that he had that are getting ready to come out. But the impact that he left is lasting. And, I, I mean, it's not like you guys or anybody else across the world is going to forget about Jackson State going forward, you know? Is, is, is that kind of the thing that made the Ed Reed – situation like even more disappointing because like the ball was in the air for like them to make the most of the moment and they kind of were stood just they kind of just stood pat kind of thing didn't they that was a that's a weird situation but it didn't reflect well when you compare it to what Dion was able to achieve in a couple of years at Jackson State I think it I think it was it was definitely a weird situation it was definitely a disappointing situation but it was it was different in the sense that Bethune is not in the same uh, predicament as Jackson, Jackson State, I'll say, or they weren't in the same predicament before. Jackson State has a strong fan base that supports them, whether they win zero games or 10. 
it just got elevated because who they had and the fact that they were back winning. They've always been a, a braggadocious fan base. But Bethune-Cookman has had its struggles, and they've been going through a lot with the various hurricanes and all of that stuff that's that's hit the school, and they're severely underfunded as well. They're actually going through a battle with the state. Um, but the issue that – the only issue I had with Ed Reed was – He's every is very passionate and he was going to be a hell of a coach, <laughs> but he did not wait until the, his name was on a dotted line and everything was done <laughs> to go into full time chaos mode. I mean, and he just went on and on. I mean, on every social media platform, he's going live every couple of minutes. I mean, like, and I get it because these schools and this is and this is the issue. A lot of schools, like I said, underfunded. You can uh, bring up some of the issues that they have and compare them to the schools around. But there are internal issues with a lot of our schools, as is the case with other places. But it's a difference when one is has hundreds of millions and other, the other doesn't, you know, and, and it's glaring. And, you know, so when you have people stealing money or, 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 or not doing as well as they can to maintain the school or just being lackadaisical, it shows more at the school that doesn't have as much money. And I think his frustration also lie with feeling like as an outsider, because we got to look at it like this and, and, and bridging the gap. There's so many people that are curious about HBCUs and they, and, and I don't say they don't know to mean that they're as in there's something secret. I'm saying they don't know in terms of, the flaws that we're dealing with from the inside and the out. So for instance, my school, it's a great school, a beautiful school, but it has issues in terms of enrollment and, 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 and financial aid and those things, just like any other place. But it's to the point where you're going to have to probably call your mom and have to have her ready to fight for you to go to your first class, you know? And that's just the case at a lot of black colleges. And I think that Ed Reed's issue was he spoke out on so many internal issues before it was official. And they, and they kind of were, their hand was forced. It was like, hey, we have Ed Reed but are we going to allow the integrity of our school to be compromised and let him badmouth our school just for what might possibly turn out? And the, and the thing is, it was so rapid. I mean, this was three to four days we're talking about. <laughs> it, it wasn't like this was over a quarter of a month. It was like, he's just going on rant after rant after rant. And they're like, dude, we didn't even finish the paperwork yet. And, and then this is the thing is before he even came to the trash rant, I, I get it. You know, if you've seen any of those hard knives, anything like that, every is, is, is a very tidy guy, you know? So, I mean, this school was in the midst of getting hit with several hurricanes. He's like, get this shit off the damn thing. <laughs> hey, we don't have the money. We don't have whatever. And I guess he wasn't hearing that. And then, I mean, what I do hope is that he has an opportunity and, he, and whether he'll take it or not, I hope that he does because he was very invested. And I know that he's a, a strong-minded black man. I hope that he does have an opportunity to come back to another black college and maybe another capacity. Like uh, uh, you know, Nick Collins went back to his his alma mater, Bethune Cookman. He's out there. He's he's DB coach. You know, Super Bowl champion. Um, maybe just to get that that culture and understanding for a year. And you know, then get an opportunity again as a as a head coach or an assistant. That's absolutely. When you have, that's sorry, Stu. When you have a culture or, or a cultural institution that becomes mainstream in the way that something like Dion would have done with Jackson State, and I, I hate bringing back to that, but 
for yeah. us. That, you know, that, that's what introduced us to that. You do often find that from the top down, there's a level of almost condescension that comes with that. Like once the original uh, wave of, oh, wow, isn't this great happens. Once that passes, you can end up in a point where they're sort of punching down on that. Oh, well, why don't they do that? And they could do yeah. this a bit better. Has there been kind of any negative con- any negative stuff that's come out of becoming more mainstream? Oh, yes, Absolutely. And, and this is the thing is that now the difference is now and in the 80s and 90s is social media. So one of the big things is is the, the, the understanding the difference of how a game is played or just the cultural importance. And this is this is this is a layered conversation because my school is in the Northeast. So Morgan State. um a lot of the schools, the differences in, in the schools in the North and South to me personally is either people will come because the football team is good or they won't. In the South, people will come because the band is good. <laughs> you know, so you have that that cultural aspect to where you got a lot of people in the South that go to Tuskegee or, or, or go to Miles College or some of these other schools that where that that musical element or 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 palms and 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 some of the, and the drum major some of that is more important than football it, it's a disconnect so like when espn is broadcasting the black college hall of fame game or the celebration bowl there's people that's only watching this game for the halftime performance you know and that, and, and and to some people that's absolutely crazy like there's some people that live by me that say i'm not going to maryland to watch the terps band you know, and there's some people that do, you know, so the bridge and the gap is, is interesting. And, and, and there's a lot of things aside from the actual game that people just have are having a hard time or working on understanding. And I think that people have to understand that this is it's something that's not going to be an overnight thing. You know, it's, it's it, every everybody does things differently, you know, even with the turnover chain. I, you know, after a while, the turnover chain was like, all right, let's after Miami and it did it and everybody had their own rendition. Like you said, it does get condescended and watered down. But for the difference is for black colleges, a lot of these things were. They're the bare bone or 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 they're that's just the structure of that specific college. That's what, that's how they are. Like when you go to Tuskegee, it, they have like this little, this little barn, not, it's not a barn, but it's like a section and, and, and it doesn't matter what's going on in the field. They're actually good again. But at the time when they were bad, it didn't matter what was going on. It was about having that place rocking and trying to distract the team you might get blown out by 50, but it's, it's rocking and they're having a good time. I, I just think that people understanding the balance of the party and the fun with the football is one thing that I don't, I don't think that a lot of people overall get or they use that to try to make it seem like there's a, a level, a difference in the playing field. So in a sense, of course, there is on a, on a scale of team versus team. Um, you'll have your upsets, of course, but as a, as a whole, that's another thing is, is, of course, the big respect thing is in which we preach is the better out of co- you do out of conference, the more respect you'll get and the more interested people will be in <laughs> the product. So I can and this is it's, it's all about the realism um, for me. 
I can advocate, I, I can advocate for a guy all day, or I can tell you all day about the school. But when it's time to play, if they're getting beat by 50 or 60, nobody wants to see that. It doesn't matter what it is or who it is, you know? So, um, and that's just, and, that, and that's the thing is, is, is people complain about how people talk about HBCU football or HBCU sports. And, and, and it's a pride thing, but it's overall for me about the realism and having that duality and understanding where I'm at and what I want things to be is, is just how I, you know, go about, trying to build this thing and getting people to understand, like, you know, for instance, you might have a guy that's first team all conference in HBCU football with 750 yards. And you might have 75 or 50 receptions. And just on paper, I'm telling this guy, like, hey, you got Jim Nagy, you got all of these scouts across the country, their jobs are dependent on this. You know, on paper, you have to stick out a little bit more. You know, you have to be first team conference two to three times. You know, when you got a guy like Tank Dell, who came from Alabama A&M, uh, Tank Dell came from Alabama A&M and went to Houston, and he's been phenomenal there, extremely consistent. But if you're a guy that's putting up 400 and 500 yards a year, and before we even get to the tape, how can I go to bat for you? You know, I, it has to make sense. And then a lot of our players, they do benefit from our out-of-conference games. Titus Howard was the last HBCU player to go in the first round, Houston Texans. And the biggest game that benefited for him was going against Auburn. They got killed, but he was phenomenal. You know, and I, and I don't think he won 12 games his whole time in college. But, you know, that non-conference play was the difference. Yeah. You know, so just – just trying to uh, get everyone in our world to understand, especially for me, that we're not a shout out platform. Uh, we're trying to get you to understand just how great you have to be. And the benefit for me and, and our platform is that I work for the Seahawks. So, of course, it looks more official when we're saying all this stuff. But it's just the reality of the world. You know, there's only 259 draft spots, you know, so just trying to make it all make sense. Yeah, uh, before before Dion, I think uh, for Seahawks fans anyway, the only um, other real exposure to HBCUs was was it the COVID year where Bobby Wagner would stand there do his press conference in in hoodies with different HBCUs, and obviously last week they combined. I mean, you talk about people entering a locker room. I mean, when Bobby Wagner signed, was it like the DiCaprio meme of like clicking the TV, pointing the TV, kind of <laughs> yeah, we could we could do something there, kind of thing. Uh, you 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 led a HBCU tour uh, uh, via the team via the Seahawks, and Bobby Wagner joined you on last week, which I think I tweeted out was it's such a cool initiative that you obviously were at the at the forefront of. But equally, just really cool that Bobby Wagner took the time to fly fly across the country and join you and give the give those kids an experience they uh, are probably never going to forget meeting a future Hall of Famer on a college campus so far away. From where he should be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was it was truly amazing. Like I said, Seattle is so far from any type of black college, you know, it is it, so little exposure. So, you know, any black college you go to, especially the majority of kids from the West Coast that go to black colleges are from Los Angeles or uh, the Bay Area, Oakland, San Francisco, et cetera. And, you know, a lot of times they're going to those schools for law, uh, 
to be doctors, et cetera. And, and those are the places that get a lot of exposure because the big time celebrities, they're in Hollywood and stuff like that. You know, Diddy and Kamala Harris, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, but Howard has a long list of entertainers. But um, it, it's just, it was, it was crazy because a lot of those kids, it was their first time being on the East Coast. And it was a great opportunity to, to talk to Bobby, who, um, you know, just his, his, his understanding of black colleges and, and his curiosity put a lot in perspective for me because this is someone who's from L.A. And he basically, you know, as you know, he had one real offer. And it wasn't like he even thought about a black college because, you know, it just didn't seem realistic or they didn't have the funding most of them at the time to even get out there to recruit them, you know? So uh, it, it, it is really interesting. And I really, it was great to be on a trip with, with someone who is so invested in, in something that they're, they're not really, a, you know, understanding of, you know? So of course, as a black man, his thing is like, you know, if I had the option, I would have, and, and, and he didn't. So he's doing so much to help. You know, like I said, with the Legacy Bowl, he signed on as official official partner for the showcase game for some of the top uh, black college athletes. But more importantly, and, you know, symbolism. But like you said, showing the hoodie, the hoodie thing was was so important because it wasn't just about exposing black colleges, but it was about showing the, the diversity and the variety, you know, from Clark Atlanta to FAMU. And then he talked about how guys around the league and his friends would reach out to him and tell him, okay, well, you need to wear this one. You need to wear that one, you know? And then, you know, we, we, we go on a tour and, um, you know, the kids are asking me all week. <laughs> They're like trying to figure out who's connected to HBCU that could possibly be. And uh, <laughs> they're like, is it Russell Wilson? His grand, his granddad was that North? And I'm like, I'm just finding all type of excuses to tell him no, not tell him. And then Bobby just shows up and, you know, they're awestruck. You know, he shakes all their hands. He's, he's walking around with them. But the thing that I, I paid attention to was his appreciation of the situation. You know, it's like, yeah, I drove across here and I know I'm going to be on camera, but I'm really invested in, in this school because this is, I really wanted to come here. He really wanted to get a chance to go to Howard, you know. And for a lot of people that even hear about Black colleges, Howard is number one. It's in the rap songs, Back to Biggie, all this type of stuff, you know. So Yard Fest, all these events. But he was so engaged. He was he was really engaged. And that's that was the thing. We met uh, Felicia Rashad. And he was, <laughs> that was funny because Bobby Wagner is like the man on campus. You know, we're walking around with Bobby Wagner and, you know, we went to the Chadwick, the Chadwick Bozeman um, College of Fine Arts um, and actress slash dean Felicia Richard is, is the dean and she does so much at Howard now. And Bobby was like in the back of the crowd. And I think he realized it was her because we didn't say it too loud. And I, he heard the voice. And then and they, and someone said we have Bobby Wagner with us. He's like, hi. <laughs> He's so <laughs> awestruck. It was, it, was, it was funny, man. But it, it was really cool. And then we got a chance to talk, and he was talking about how you know he wanted to go to Morehouse and some of the other schools he wanted to go to, and just figuring out some of the next things he wanted to do to help black colleges. And 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 and, and the most important thing that I took away was that we're we're on a tour. 
for these kids and they're from across the country and they're going to this black college. And at the time we'd already met a couple of players from Hampton university and Virginia state and Virginia union, which were our previous stops. Uh, But to see Bobby Wagner come on tour with us. And then we had coordinated for Bobby to surprise the Howard team. But these kids were so interested in the trip and finding out that, wow, there's D one program, the, you know, and a lot of these kids were young student athletes. So to, to really phone it home for them to say, okay, I have a chance to come to the school where all of these people look like me. They, they share some of the same traits. They listen to music and dress like me. And, 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 and even in terms of higher education, these people that look like me that are doing great. And on the athletic side, we got arguably one of the greatest linebackers ever <laughs> telling us what to do to succeed. Like Bobby just said, Hey, whatever questions you have, I'm not trying to interrupt your practice. Just ask. They're firing off, you know? And um, it's just that opportunity. You know, I don't know if five or 10 years ago, a uh, Bobby Wagner would have came to Howard, you know, and, and, and for those kids to see as possible, you know, I thought that said a lot, you know, and, I, and like I said, him to be so focused on the situation and, and really taking it in, I, I really appreciated that, you know? Yeah. I mean, Chadwick Boseman, Denzel was Howard, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so Denzel, he actually, he has a, he, I, I believe Denzel has an honorary degree from Howard, but if I'm correct, I might be wrong. My other fact, I'm correct. I thought he went to Syracuse. Uh, but I yeah, think yeah, because, have a- because when Chadwick Boseman died, there was the viral clip of, like him thanking Denzel for, was it like a what's what's it called a, a like apprenticeship? But what's that called? Scholarship, 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 scholarship. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm honest with you as a Morgan grad. I'm gonna have to look at that. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I yeah, I'm making up lies, but yeah, yeah. I know that that's another one. That's and and that's the thing. It's like Howard is so. You know, many people feel like they they just get gifted with everything. You know, they got you don't know what celebrity can pop up on campus, but it's so competitive. You know, and that's the thing about black colleges, is you know, seeing Bobby Wagner will spark one of those guys and make it to the league. But in so many other ways, these black colleges are so competitive because you're taught that you have to compete with the world. You know, and it's not just a sports thing. You know, just even for me. You know, Morgan State, they teach you, they send you to the combine, they send you to the draft. They just say, here's $300, figure it out. You know, <laughs> come back with a story. Go interview this person. Go Just to prepare you and say, okay, because you got to compete with the Mizzou's, you got to compete with the Northwesterns, all these schools with elaborate journalism schools and all this stuff. And, you know, you, you just learn to go a little bit harder, you know. So just in so many ways, I think just seeing somebody like that, and having that opportunity to have him there. And, and like you said, it's perfect timing. He just came back to the team. But, he, he, you know, he made it work. He had to go right back. I mean, the last stop of the day, we went to Howard Bookstore, and ironically, he bought more stuff. So hopefully he'll have some more stuff on this season. <laughs> but, you know, he, he made it work. And, and I think that that was a big deal because Bobby didn't go to HBCU, but it might inspire so many other NFL players to visit, to, to, to learn more. And it's not even just about them, you know, they're, they're, they're fully immersed in their careers, but it's about the future, you know, and, and just bridging that gap, you know. When you have guys like Shaq Leonard, it's hard to say that they're, 
there's is, is, is a big playing gap because he showed it. I mean, he showed it, you know, just inspiring that next generation. You know, mm-hmm. at one point, North Dakota State wasn't anything. But now those kids in North Dakota, little old <laughs> North Dakota, believe that they can be it. You know, and I just think that's it. Realizing that it's about the future. It's about the kids and giving them the opportunity to be the best that they can be in any way. And in this in this in this particular instance, it's, it's in terms of black colleges. This is kids going for higher education. This, I mean, you know, this is not Boys and Girls Club. This is not Pop Warner. These, these are individuals that are really invested in making themselves better in and out of the classroom. And I just want to help them in any way to have the best shot they can succeed. Yeah, it's not just Bobby Wagner. That's a Jordan athlete as well. Because that's, yeah. that's a different and, and, brand entirely, which has got... That could open other doors and use as well. It's, it's, it's incredibly cool to, watching your, your social media last week, watching all the videos you're posting, and particularly the ones seeing Bobby... Uh, and Bobby's a Howard, and, and Bobby and Jordan, and uh, Bobby and Bobby and Howard are both Jordan brands. So you know they gave him some kicks, and 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 I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he had some custom Howard cleats on this. Yeah, on the lookout for that too. That's great, Adam. Now, what is there a general idea of what the ceiling can be for HBCUs in the context of the NFL? I mean, obviously. You're never going to get sort of the, the the exposure, unfortunately, that sort of the you know, Washington is going to get against Oregon and, and things like that. But is there a plan in place as a collective of of what what needs to happen for for the next five years to be a success or ten years? Well, I'll give you my perspective. My perspective is, like I said, and, and, and this is first and foremost, I love the exposure. I love to expose people to HBCs. But when we talk about football. I'm a football purist. And the unfortunate thing about losing a Dion, who had such a great program role, and I know they lost two championships in a row, but having a guy like that who who was playing some pretty decent FCS competition would continue to push some of our top teams in the direction of moving up. I mean, James Madison is a, is, a, is a great example of a program that really was solid for a very long time at the FCS level and really made the push and moved up. You know, if any of these schools are able to move up to FBS in the next five to 10 years, it would, it would reap so many benefits for the institution as a whole and just black colleges as a whole, regardless of what their record turns out to be for those first few years, but just making that leap. Uh, and and we have so many schools that are in the midst of trying to figure out conference alignment or realignment. Um, for instance, the CIAA, which is a D2 conference here in the East, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to, you know, get things together. And it might be a CIAA team, which is a D2 team to jump to FCS to be in the MEAC, which is Morgan State, Howard, North Carolina Central, Norfolk State and Delaware State, because they only have five teams. Six teams. So, you know, I mean, five teams, excuse me. So, you know, just continuing, in my opinion, because that's one thing that Dion didn't stop. And, and I'm appreciative of the Hugh Jacksons, Eddie Georges, every coach for saying, OK, Coach Prime is gone, but we're here. We're still trying to push you guys. We got our own accolades or whatever and develop, continue to bring in and develop talent and try to. I won't say even the playing field because it's hard <laughs> to compete with Alabama. They're going to get seven. The, the, seven, the top seven cornerbacks don't even care that they're on the bench behind each other. They just want to go to Alabama. Yeah. 
And then maybe they'll transfer HBCU or somewhere else after a year of being on the bench, which I don't get. But, I mean, all we can do is continue to improve. And, and I think that the more you improve and the more you win, the conversations change. And, um, and that goes to drafting players. Uh, that goes to uh, jumping in conferences and, and divisions. Uh, that goes exposure. I mean, if we get to a point where uh, Howard is is actually competitive enough to really, you know, be in a college football playoff in 10, 15 years, we're winning. We're cooking with grease, you know? Like, I mean, and just even right now, like I said, the last few years have been a major shift. Howard is sponsored by Jordan Brand. Howard has made the NCAA tournament in men's and women's basketball. Uh, you know, um, they, you know, they just split the MEAC championship. I mean, they're doing swim team is they, they got one of the only HBCU, the only HBCU swim team. I mean, at, at division one level is it's, it's so much that they're doing. But like I said, it's a process. I'm just so happy that the wheels are rolling in, in, in the way that they are. Uh, some of the conversations and some of the things that are going on now five years ago didn't exist. And it's some of the things that are just so normal at some other places or in some other conferences or regions and, and things of that nature. I'm just happy to see the progress. I'm not really one for complaining. I'm more for challenging the status quo. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to see the growth. I think people just have to be patient. I think it's the understanding thing. I mean, uh, I want you to know who HBCUs are, but I'm not going to berate you for not knowing, you know, I, I, I want to try to find that balance, you know, uh, we're all learning. And, 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 and that's the thing about just giving each other grace, you know, but give each other some respect too. So we got to, in some ways we have to earn it, but it's in a lot of way, ways, which I point out, like I said, we got 35 plus hall of famers. We have earned our respect, but, it's what you, what have you done for me lately is, is, is sports. Mm-hmm. You got to keep going and you got to keep getting better. So like I said, this year we get more guys in the league. All of the guys that got drafted last year made an impact. Kobe Durant for, for the Rams. I mean, uh, James Houston for the Lions. He came in, was phenomenal. Uh, another guy, Deshaun Dixon for the Jaguars. He, you know, he made a team. He'll he'll do some things for for their for their front seven next year. I mean, just overall, is just coming in and making an impact. Marquise Bell, he went undrafted from FAMU. He started at Maryland. He has a, he had a little issue at Maryland. Went to FAMU, was phenomenal on and off the field. Went undrafted and was the highest signed undrafted free agent of of last year. And, and just getting these guys to also understand the business in a sense, in a sense too. I'm sorry if I'm talking too much. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Just getting them to understand the business too. Like, hey, sometimes you're going to have to just, you make it, you know, unanimous. You can't put yourself in a position to be an undrafted player. You know, so in Marquise's situation, I mean, Jerry Jones, hey, <laughs> it's a money game. If I can get you undrafted, then I'll do that. But, mm-hmm. you know. You just have to make your case undeniable, you know, and that's just what we're working towards. And that, like I said, that's in conference being flat out dominant, especially if you came from the D1 level, if you transfer from anywhere down to FCS or D2, you should, in my opinion, you should come in and dominate, you know, especially if you went to Memphis, you went to Maryland, Michigan State, anywhere. If you got recruited to those schools in the first place to 
differentiate yourself from these guys, you should, we, we expect you to come in and dominate, you know, and that's the case at anywhere, you know, uh, you know, anybody you look at it in the class, man, you, you, you go to Alabama, you go to Sam Houston state, you, you better be damn good. I mean, you just came from Alabama, you know, so I think we got a lot of work to do, but I'm, I'm very happy with the progress we're making. Yeah, that's, that's honestly, we've done, I said, 200 episodes. That's just been one of the more enlightening ones we've done because, as we said, at the start of the HBCU topic, don't really know too much about it. We've heard the schools before, but we really appreciate you uh, going deep on it because, it's, yeah, as I said, it's been really fascinating to listen and hopefully a couple of people listening. I've learned a bit and we'll keep an eye out for some teams and talking to teams, Adam. Uh, me and Adam are talking about... Um, making a trip out to Nashville, uh, Tennessee State play in Nashville. Yes. So if, if there's time in the schedule and it works out for us, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be looking up where that stadium is. and Eddie George has a pretty quality team. And that's the thing is, like, some teams, I mean, some schools are in worse situations than other. Now, mind you, Tennessee State is in a battle right now with the, t- the state of Tennessee over money that's owed to them overall as a university. But the privilege of being at Tennessee State on the football side is you play at the home Eddie George. You play at Nissan Stadium, you know, and, and a lot of, you know, that's that's one of the perks. You're always on TV and 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 their conference is a little bit rougher, you know, so they're they're they're, they're playing some some dogs. They're playing Eastern Washington. They're playing some some pretty solid teams for that level, you know, um, compared to some of some of the other schools um so that uh tennessee state you know they're playing notre dame this year you know mm-hmm. so tennessee state hampton and north carolina a t are not in hbcu conferences though so they're they're big south caa ovc ohio valley conference so they're playing some some pretty well they're playing the Cooper Cups of the world, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, the, those type of those type of teams. <laughs> and, and, and you got to you got, you know, but Eddie George is his 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 talent is a little bit different over there than a lot of these schools. They, they can't compete with those guys, but some can. You know, he actually lost a game to a D2 school this year, HBCU. They lost to Lane College seven to six. And Lane College has a guy who. And this is this this has nothing to do with team, but I would personally love to see in Seattle. His name is Andrew Farmer. He's an edge rusher, phenomenal guy, uh, D two guy, and I think that another one that's going to show it. You know, wherever talent is, they'll find you, and it doesn't matter what level. Um, but hey, I mean, we, it just goes to show we we have a lot of talent. Uh, I think that you'll really enjoy what Tennessee State is putting on the field this year. They got they got some guys. They they got some guys. They got a pretty good schedule. Um, I think if you make that trip, you'll be satisfied. <laughs> like you, you, like I mean, you can show us around if you make one of those road trips. And we we don't have that game in London. I think it's definitely something me and Adam are going to try and make it out to. So if, if that's one of your road games, put your hand up when John Boyle sends the Slack message into your inbox and. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll see you at this stadium's where the Titans play, isn't it? That's the same, yeah. Yep. Same yeah. They play there every Saturday, yeah. That's 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 awesome. Uh, where can people catch you? Quick, just, just what I have to end with one little silly story. So, you mentioned Tariq Cohen. Uh, I'm in a fantasy league over here in London with like 10 
just London Jewish guys and obviously so enthralled that, you know, the name Cohen made it to the NFL, that one of the team names is the Bear Jew and has been ever <laughs> since 2017. So if you speak to Tariq Cohen ever, you can tell him that one of his legacies is uh, a very average fantasy football team uh, in, in London called the called the Bear Jew. And, uh, you know, we can send the logo across because, uh, yeah, there's one, one of my friend's teams been since, since 2017, the Bear Jews. Did you? I, I, I'm sure you've seen that uh, video when he was with the Bears, when he kind of had like a so bar- funny, a mitzvah. <laughs> it was brilliant. Yeah, it was great. I mean, and and that's another guy. Now that's a guy. Tariq Cohen, as you know, he's a change of pace back. He's a little guy, mm-hmm. but I mean, at Ant, he was he was the feature back. He ran for over six thousand yards. But what stood out for him and really separated him in the draft class, crazy enough, was he did a, a, a backflip and caught two footballs at the same time. And the video <laughs> was super viral and made it to ESPN uh, during his his scouting process. And it, and it kind of propelled him, you know. Um, that was just so funny to me. I'm like, guys, pay attention to this little guy. He's extraordinary. And as soon as he does a backflip, he's on ESPN. But, man, that that's another one. I mean, he's, he's electrifying. I hope he everything works out for him and he finds another way to make it with a team and you know make a a substantial impact if he still wants to play you know his his legacy is safe in northwest london so he's got that Um, so was the name of that player andrew farmer was the name of the player too yeah andrew farmer he's from lane college that's that's close um one one more thing we do try and do on this podcast it's like a daisy chain thing Uh, we've had nick blore on twice and he's failed uh, to bring the guy he's promised us, but you've got an in now with Bobby Wagner, and we've got a third a third mic going free every other week. So if, if if next time we see Bobby, just say, "Ah, oh, there's these two idiots in England who want to <laughs> chop it up with you," and yeah, okay. get him on the pod. That's, <laughs> that's 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 the daisy chain we'd like to. You. But yeah, we massively appreciate you jumping on with us, Malik. Well, as I say, it's been it's been fascinating, interesting, and. Hopefully enlightening to people because as I said, not HBCU is just it's just it's four letters really to a lot of NFL fans and yeah. Obviously the college the college draft stuff is growing over here, but but yeah, uh, where can people catch you on all the social medias and all the rest of it? All right, so my name on Twitter is NFL Malik, and that's M-A-L two I's I-I-K. And um you can follow Draft HBCU. On Twitter at Draft HBCU and on Instagram at Draft HBCU Players. And our website is drafthbcuplayers.com. Um, and yeah, so I just wanted to leave you guys. I know we talked about Andrew Farmer. I wonder, just in case, just in, in any <laughs> circumstance, drafted or undrafted, the Seahawks happen to bring in another HBCU player, black college player. I'm going to give you five names to look up, look out for now, anybody listening, including Andrew Farmer. So Andrew Farmer, he's an edge rusher, uh, Lane College, um, which is in Jackson, Tennessee. A guy that's close to me, Josh Pryor, he's a defensive tackle, DN, he can do it all, three-tech, five-tech, four-I. He goes to Bowie State. Uh, Third... I have to say Xavier Smith. He's a wide receiver. Steve Smith loves him. Go look him up on the Steve Smith's Twitter. He talks about him a lot. He's a small, fiery guy, wide receiver three. <laughs> he's, he's, he's solid. He can do a little <laughs> bit of kick turning. Four would have to be a cornerback. I'm going to go with Dijon Warren Nugget. 
Dejon Warren, his nickname is Nugget. Uh, he played for Jackson State. He was the number one uh, JUCO transfer of the year. Came to Jackson State with Prime. I don't know if he'll get drafted, but that's an undrafted guy I would love to see in Seattle. And lastly, Aubrey Miller, Jackson State linebacker. Uh, just fiery, plays special teams. He just shoots out of a cannon. He has some range. And he can cover better than people expect. So, yes. I'm, I'm so appreciative of you guys having me on. So appreciate uh, uh, we, we appreciate your time. And when you speak to John next, tell him that we said hello because we've had him on a couple of times. And like, we'd like to see us to come back to London, but we'd much rather go to Nashville, Tennessee, <laughs> as we said before. But yeah, uh, all the usual means and methods, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, a new Twitter account for the podcast, at the Ped Pod on Twitter, the Ped Pod. It's quite, it's, you should be able to spell it. If, although maybe some of our listeners can't, Dan Cohen. Um, no, who knows? Uh, but yeah, until next time, this has been the Pedestrian Podcast. Play up, you fucking sky blues. <laughs>